Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Monique Rodriguez, to our show today. Monique is the founder and CEO of Myel Organics, an all-natural hair care and beauty brand. Monique created Myel Organics' first product in her kitchen. Now the brand has products in over 85 countries and still pursues the same vision it did from when it operated out of her kitchen with the same values. Monique worked as a registered nurse for almost a decade. She became a nurse initially to make her mother happy and to have a career with financial stability. As a wife and mother of two girls, it was a huge risk to leave her stable career path to pursue her passion. Yet she always had a love of beauty and hair care. And once she saw the engagement of her online community with the products she was creating from her kitchen, she decided to finally bet on herself and launch her product. And that's when Maya Organic was born. Fast forward to today, Monique has become the first black woman to raise a non-controlling nine-figure investment over $100 million in a deal with Berkshire Partners. In 2023, Monique made history again when Myel Organics was acquired by P&G in an unprecedented acquisition, which was the largest exit ever for a black female beauty founder, and she still continues to serve as the CEO of the company. As part of her deal with P&G, she also established Myel Cares, the nonprofit arm of her company, with a $10 million donation that was matched by PNG. In this week's episode, we talked to Monique about the many business ventures she tried that didn't work out, why she decided to still pursue her nursing career, and the biggest skills she learned there that have propelled her when starting her own business. We also chat about her process of building a passionate community through social media, how that helped her to create product market fit for her product, and the steps she took not knowing anyone in the industry to find a chemist to work on her first batch that ended up selling out. Monique shares so many words of wisdom in this episode and a few personal highlights were also how she manifested many aspects of her success and the exact steps she took to bring it to life. This was all super fascinating to me and how she handles challenging situations and still stays grounded when building her business and so much more. Welcome to the show, Monique. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on. I'm a huge admirer of you as a person, how you've built your brand and there's a lot we're going to try to cover in an hour. So this will definitely be a fun one. But before we go into your story, I actually want to talk about your life before you started your business. You've been very open about, you know, these negative voices that you had in your head, things like this isn't your lane, you don't have the right experience, you're not good enough. I want to bring this up because there's a lot of women listening in, and I've definitely been there, who have had these negative beliefs before we take that leap or we get that job and do a big risk. But how did you really tackle those fears and tap into the belief in yourself so it didn't hold you back? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the thing that people, we all need to realize is that everyone gets negative thoughts. Mm. It's what you choose to feed more. Do you choose to feed into the negativity or do you choose to like switch your thinking and to focus on something that's positive? So I think that we have to give ourselves grace and to know that negative thoughts do exist. But the battle is trying to diminish those negative thoughts and you have to retrain your mind. And it's an everyday battle. I'm not going to sit here and tell you today I don't have any negative thoughts. I do, but I choose to, when I get those thoughts, not to let it linger on in my mind. I have been very good with being self-aware and knowing when those thoughts start to come and like stopping them in its tracks. So as soon as you get that thought, you have to train your mind and say, oh, I'm not going to think like that. Let me focus on something else. And for me, it has been my faith, my faith Mm. in God. And, you know, reading Bible scriptures and the scriptures that tell me to not be afraid or to be anxious about anything. So I have to resort to what that scripture says. So even if I have a negative thought, I may not have something like from a personal level to focus on that's positive. So I'll just revert right to that scripture. And that's what has helped me 
channel those thoughts, but it is an everyday ongoing process. So I think that as humans, we have to give ourselves grace um, and be mindful and just try different tactics on how to diminish those thoughts. And that has helped me throughout my journey. I love that. That's so beautiful. And a good reminder of even at someone at your level, it's something that you're still working on. And I feel like every stage of your life, there's going to be different challenges and battles that you're, you know, trying to overcome. So you just having that awareness of you have these negative beliefs. Don't think too much about it. Don't be too hard on yourself. Give yourself grace and immediately try to kind of shift it. And, you know, I'm still on my journey that way. And I definitely can tell it does get easier over time, but it's a daily practice for sure. But I love that. And then also, I just want to add, like, sometimes we also have to understand the source. Like, Mm -hmm. what is the source of that negative thought? Is it because you've been on social media and, you know, social media is like a up and down this is one minute you can look at something, you can be motivated. And the next minute you can look at something that can make you very sad and cry. Mm. So also understand like, what are you ingesting into your eyes and ears? Because that is the gateway to your soul. So be mindful of like the things that are in your environment that you're mm. taking in that can stem the source of those negative thoughts as well. I love that. And I love that you bring up social media because sometimes we're not even aware of that. We'll be on social and then maybe 30 minutes later, we have some weird negative belief and you need to like stop and reflect back. Okay, like why have why has my mood changed in the last 30 minutes? And I've been in that position where, where my husband has said, were you on social media? And I was like, you're right. So even though I'm not consciously wanting these beliefs, but it is still in the background of your subconscious and can kind of impact those thoughts. So I love that you brought that up. That's super powerful. So I'd love to now start from the early, early days of your upbringing. I'm just so inspired about the strong women that you had in your life, the role model your mom was, you know, the impact your grandmother kind of had also on your upbringing. Can you kind of share more about your relationship with them and your upbringing? Yeah. So my upbringing was pretty decent. You know, I didn't know any different, you know, when you're not exposed to a different environment, you kind of think that what you're growing up in is pretty normal. So my mom, she was a very strong woman and I credit her strength from her upbringing, from her mother, you know, she didn't necessarily have a super close relationship with her mom. Um, Her mom had like seven kids and you know, during that time, it was really survival mode. So when you don't have like the basic necessities of your needs being met, you're really not thinking about how you can care for the people that you're supposed to care for. Um, So my grandmother, you know, she struggled, you know, she got divorced from my granddad when the kids were still young. And so she basically brought up seven kids by herself. In that household, like love wasn't like shown. It wasn't like really affectionate. It was more very, she was very disciplined, disciplinary and, you know, making sure that her kids knew how to survive. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like a very nurturing type of environment. So because of that, I like my mom, she knew that when she had kids, she wanted to have a different relationship with her kids. Now, when we talk about generational cycles, my mom also wasn't as like, like she didn't always tell us that she loved us, but we knew that she loved us, like without a doubt, because her actions always showed that she loved us, but it wasn't like verbalized in our household. It was more so like, you really don't show your emotions. You really have to always be strong. And that's kind of like how she raised us. Like I can count on one hand how many times I've saw my mom cry. Mm-hmm. And that was probably from the death of, you know, one of her siblings. Her um, Most of her brothers have passed away now, but I really haven't seen her, her cry. So she's always been like this strong woman. She's always had this complex. In some ways it's good, but in some ways it's not good because, you know, as a child, sometimes you need to have that emotional attachment to your parent. And, you know, you have to know that it's okay to not always be strong because sometimes, especially in the black community, we take on that complex of being a strong woman and thinking that we have to be everyone's hero and everyone's savior. Mm. You can't be a hero and savior to everyone if you're not fully taking care of yourself. You can't pour from an empty cup. So I think it teaches us to take on more than we can probably bear. And then we become overwhelmed. We become frustrated. And then we lose that nurturing ability Mm. to care for those that are around us. So I've been able to like really just recognize, 
you know, obviously some of the things that I didn't want to pass down to my kids, and I'm pretty sure they'll, they see things that they don't want to pass down to their kids either. I think that's, you know, always the cycle, but, you know, my mom, she, because she was so strong, she really instilled some very strong values and morals within me that, you know, I'm very thankful for. Like the reason why I've turned out the way that I've turned out is because of the woman that she raised me to be. Like she's always raised me to be um, very disciplined, very Mm -hmm. determined, like never give up to keep pushing, to keep going. It wasn't necessarily encouraged for me to follow dreams per se, but, you know, she wanted me to have a career that was better than hers. And, you know, from what she knew it was survival. So, the best thing that she knew to teach me was go to school, go to college, get a degree. And that was her way of teaching me stability and security. Following my dreams was not stability and security for her. But, you know, when you grow up and you become your own and you start realizing, like, I have to live life on my terms and not my mom's turn, still keeping those same values. But I would, I really want to live life on my own terms and follow my own dreams. And, you know, the reason why I've been able to build this successful company is because of that discipline and determination that I was taught growing up as a child. I have so many questions there. It's so powerful. And what a influence your mother had on you. You know, you mentioned that, you know, growing up, she wanted the best for you, right? She wanted you to get an education, a stable job. Like this sounds very familiar even in my life. But even though she didn't want you to pursue your dreams outside of maybe like nursing school or something a little bit more predictable, I feel like you still had it in you to dabble and try different things and dreams. So I'm just curious because if I'm understanding this correctly, before you even went to nursing school, I'm fast forwarding a bit, you kind of dabbled in so many different ways of making money. So can you maybe talk more about that phase in your life? Because it's interesting kind of hearing your mom's perspective, but you still were trying different things and kind of going against the grain. Yeah, no. And I the thing is, like, I've always valued and respected my mom's, you know, opinions and her thoughts. But because she's also raised me to be a strong woman, yeah. you know, I also have my own strong opinions. And I kind of walk to the beat of my own drum because she always instilled in me, be a leader, not a follower. So if you instill in me to be a leader, like some things that you tell me, I'm probably not going to all all the way listen to. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having that that bug, that entrepreneurial bug was something that I've always had in me, like being, I would call a calculated risk taker has been something that was always inside of me because of that, be a leader, be a leader, you know, that was always mm-hmm. preached to me. Mm-hmm. And so when I became a nurse, um, no, even before I became a nurse, like I would branch off and try to start a lot of different you know, business ventures, you know, I fell victim to the direct sale industry. You know, I first started off with like Mary Kay, went from a, I mean, Mary Kay to Avon to Scentsy Candles, um, pretty much any direct sales that said that, oh, you can join for a hundred dollars and you'll become a millionaire overnight. I thought that was true. And that's what I bought into, but really, I mean, I was like 1920. So I really didn't understand, you know, you are, it's easy to be sold within that dream when you're, at the very ripe age of 19. But when I look back, I was really trying to discover who I was and trying to discover and bring this gift and this passion to life. But because I didn't have any examples of what that looked like, this was the route that I thought, you know, would give me that freedom that I wanted to get out of like the medical field that my mom had pushed me into. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. It's a Amazing how you were just saying, 
you didn't see other examples. Like there was no woman who looked like you who was running a product business that you could have channeled that energy to, which is why I'm just so passionate about this podcast, because you get inspired by seeing other women that are like you to go after your dreams. I mean, it's been a big inspiration even on my own journey. So I'm curious, you know, you did end up going down the path of nursing. You know, you were there for a good amount of time. You didn't love it, but you've kind of talked about maybe some skill sets that you still kind of have taken on from that experience. So it wasn't all bad. You still learned a lot. So maybe you can kind of talk through, um, you know, maybe some of the characteristics or traits that you built during your time there. Yeah. And, you know, that's a great question because I always like to say, you know, never despise small beginnings and never despise your journey Mm. because Mm -hmm. you never know what part of your journey will pay off with a certain skill set that you may need later on in life. So whenever you're working at whatever you do, work with it with all of your heart and work with integrity because you're you will learn. I guarantee you will learn a skill set that you will need later on in life. And you'll be like, oh wow, I'm so glad that that was a part of my journey because now I see why I needed that skill set. So, you know, with health and science being the primary focus of nursing, health and science was a huge part of my story and my journey with really helping me to understand the basic fundamentals of chemistry, of understanding like human anatomy and physiology and understanding like how the hair grows and like understanding the science behind it, what made me really deep dive and research, you know, how can I create products, better products than what's on the market that really helped meet the needs of, at the time I was just a consumer, it was just me, but I was having my own hair struggles and challenges, but because I became so obsessed with nursing my own hair back to health, Mm-hmm. That information that I was discovering, I started sharing that with women. And my previous career in nursing, I was a labor and delivery nurse. So I worked in women's health. So I was already used to like educating women on their bodies, educating them on the labor, the birthing process. That was something that, you know, I was so used to. So when it came down to educating mm-hmm. women on how to take care of their hair, it was something that just flowed so easily. Because now I'm really talking about something that I'm passionate about. And now I'm doing something that I've already was doing working as a nurse. So taking that skill set of just connecting with people by giving them valuable information that can help improve and make their lives different was a skill set that I took from my nursing career. Um, And then also developing the trust in relationship building. I always say that people like to do business with who they know, like, and trust. And as a nurse, I had to always develop rapport with my patients because as a labor and delivery nurse, it's just me and the patient. So me and the patient have to get along and we have to have some type of rapport if she's going to trust me to guide her during the whole birthing process. If she's going to trust me to insert medication in her IV that's going to go through her blood veins, I think she wants to know and understand that she has a nurse that's care that cares about her and that's trustworthy um, before she lets me pursue do any type of procedures on her. And developing that rapport was something that I had to take with developing community when it came to selling a product. Because when you have a product, and especially with Black women in our hair, our hair is everything. And we're not putting anything in our hair that's going to damage or disrupt our hair. And so for me, I knew that and I knew that I had to really develop that relationship with the women that I was sharing this content with for them to be able to trust that once they bought a product from me, from me, that it wasn't going to make their hair fall out. It wasn't going to go bad in their hair. Or if we did have issues, they were going to trust that I still operated with integrity and I would replace anything that, you know, had an issue or whatever. And that was also a skill set that I learned from working as a nurse. So many different skill sets. I can go on and on and on, but those were, I think, two of the key important things that really helped catapult the career. I love your answers. And I love the fact that you're like, I could go on and on and on because if there's anyone listening in right now who despises their job, there's still so many things that you can take away from it. Like you said, if you show up every day that you do your best that you can, you never know how certain skill sets can kind of help you in that business you've always wanted. So the fact that you were able to pull so many things from nursing to help you build that brand reputation, trust with consumers, which is huge for any business is really, really awesome. And one thing that you mentioned in another interview, which I just thought was so fascinating is you also said you aren't a natural salesperson and you're actually quite introverted. So 
you know, I'm sure did nursing kind of help you get out of your comfort zone or maybe you can talk more about that because a lot of people think if they're introverted, maybe they're not set up to be an entrepreneur and be that person they see, you know, others be on Instagram or on commercials or whatnot. Yeah. So I, I feel that I am naturally like my safe space is the introverted side of me. I have forced myself to be extroverted. And yes, you know, when I worked as a nurse, I worked with all different walks of life. I worked with many different personalities. And you have to think about like when you are having a baby, it's not the most comfortable thing to do. Like you're in there screaming, yelling, and guess who has to be the brunt of all of that screaming and yelling? Me, the nurse. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I had to like really learn how to maneuver and manage a lot of different personalities, you know, throughout my career. And that has forced me to come out of my comfort zone and to not be afraid to talk to people, to not be afraid to approach them. But I still feel like I am a horrible salesperson. But when I'm talking about something that I love and that I'm passionate about, I think that that shows. And honestly, that's what I want to sell. I want to sell something that I love and that I'm passionate about. And that was one of the differences that I learned when I look back over my journey with selling Mary Kay, Avon, Cincy Candles. I was a horrible salesperson because I really wasn't passionate about what I was doing. Like I was really just chasing money and just trying to like leave my nursing career. And that was the wrong mentality to have. And when you are chasing money, it's not sustainable. You really have to chase purpose and vision. And so once I really truly tapped into my purpose and my vision and what I was called to do, me talking about hair products, even though it may sound like I'm selling, I'm really passionate about what I'm doing. And that in turn sells the product. Mm -hmm. No, it's so powerful. And I love that you said, because I've been in that similar position of like chasing money, selling things that don't resonate. But when you have your own business and your own purpose behind it, it like naturally exudes because you only want people to know more about it. And also, you know, so many women listening in today are still trying to find their purpose and passion. You know, it's a lifelong journey to figure out. And I kind of want to talk about you because you went through a very challenging time in 2013 that kind of pushed you to figure out your higher power, despite it being very, very difficult. So maybe you can kind of take us back to that time um, if you feel comfortable and walk us through your life situation then. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, so yeah, in 2013, um, I became pregnant with our third child and I had a high risk pregnancy from my second daughter that was born. She was born by C-section. And I remember when she was born by C-section, it was emergency C-section. They had to cut my uterus up and down to like hurry up and get her out. And so, you know, when your uterus is cut up and down um, vertical on, on the uterus, that puts you at risk for any subsequent pregnancy that you have after that for a uterine rupture, because when the uterus contracts, it contracts from the top down and the incision is the weakest at the top. And so unfortunately, I did end up having contractions going into preterm labor, and it caused me to have a uterine rupture with my son in 2013. And unfortunately, he passed away from complications of that pregnancy. And I mean, obviously, as you can imagine, it was true. It was devastating. Like my whole world was completely turned upside down. It was so unexpected. Um, but, you know, I say that my son, even though he was here for a very short time in this life, like he's done so much with helping me develop my relationship with God, my family, um, and really just giving me the courage, you know, to step out on faith. Because when tragic life situations like that happen to you, it causes you to really reevaluate your life. And knowing that having that delivery also was very risky for my life as well. You know, I'm like, I have to live life on my terms and really do things that are fulfilling and make me, because you have like a totally different perspective on life when things like that happen. And my son allowed me to truly get to know myself and to be more self-aware, get to know God and truly understand what my purpose was and to tap into that purpose. So with me going on social media during that time, what people, a lot of people don't know was when I was posting about hair, it was really therapy for me. It was getting my mind off of what I was going through with my son. You know, it was a creative outlet for me to like express myself. So while it was giving so much value and impact and helping other women, I was also helping me. And that's what got me through that because it was like 
um, a distraction. So, you know, to say the least, but that distraction was more purposeful because as you think about the company that you see today, it's not just about shampoos and conditioners. It's truly about community. It's truly about impacting. And, you know, I like to say what I do is kingdom ministry, like marketplace ministry is another word for it because I'm very vocal about my faith. I'm very vocal about my belief in God and those that may be searching or may not know God discover him through buying hair products from my company. So for me, that's a bigger purpose and that's a higher calling on my life that I really didn't know that I had until I had to go through pain to discover purpose. Gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry about, you know, what you've gone through. I actually was, um, a friend had posted an, a quote today on Instagram that was like, the vessel from challenge is when like opportunity or certain situations can come. And, you know, just kind of hearing your journey of, of going through that and you really knowing like life is so precious. How do you want to live? You know, like you, I actually didn't even think about it. it was also dangerous for you to go through that, you know, in addition to your son. So it makes you just reevaluate things so differently and you kind of tapping into social just for connection too, probably. And like, building community and it being a distraction for yourself. And I think, you know, what people might not realize is that it's not like you had hundreds of thousands of followers, right? At the time, like it was just maybe a few hundred then. Yeah, probably had like 500 followers. So not a yeah. lot at all. <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious because, you know, you did mention you were just kind of sharing more about your journey with your hair. So what was the impetus where you're like, you know, I actually want to start a business around it. Cause I know Miel wasn't the first idea that you had. It was actually maybe a hair salon. So maybe you can talk about when you realize, oh, I can maybe make this into something and what you were thinking at the time. Yeah. So it's my L. So just remember oh, my, my L's. Um, it's named after my daughter's. That's right. Hey, no, Miles, Miles. Yes. There you go. Um, so yeah, the emphasis behind like me actually starting um, was so my initial idea was to create the hair salon, which is you know what you talked about, because as I mentioned, I was facing my own hair challenges, and I discovered that like doing my hair and getting myself together, like it makes you feel good. It made me feel really good. And I'm like, I want other women to have this same type of feeling when they come into the presence of like, you know, getting their hair done. And so my thought was, okay, I want to put together like a beauty salon, but I want to create my own products within this salon. So when women, women come in, they can get their hair done. They can use these homemade at that time. I thought they were the homemade concoctions that I was making and they're going to have the best experience and they're going to come out looking and feeling even better. And so the whole thing for me was like, how do I empower my communities to have the ultimate confidence when they experience my, at the time, like my brand, it wasn't a name at that time. And so I went to this branding workshop and um, it was by a celebrity hairstylist at the time she was doing these branding workshops as a tour. And she, um, you know, at the end of the, the workshop, she asked like if anyone had any further questions. So I walked up to her at the end and told her my idea of what I was looking to do and wanted her advice. And I'm so glad she gave me this advice because most people would be like, oh, she was giving you this advice because she was hating. But she really told me like, you know, I think what you're trying to do is amazing, but I don't think you should go the salon route because, you know, you're a nurse, you really don't have experience in the hair care industry. You may not have the respect from, mm. you know, the stylist there because that's a whole, you know, another story in itself. And it's going to cause you more stress if you do the salon route. And so I took her advice and I really considered it. And at that time, because I knew I was more introverted, I'm a lot better now. But I'm like, I don't know if I want to deal with people yeah. like and deal with attitudes and deal with salads. So I'm like, I don't know if the salon route is the, the best route for me because I don't want to be more stressed than I am. So I went back to just making products and just talking about the products on social media. And then women started asking, can they buy the mixtures that I was making? And that was when I had the light bulb moment. And I told my husband, I said, well, maybe I'm not going to go the salon route. I'm just going to try to figure out how to just market and sell this product and create a website. And that way they can still experience the brand, still use the products, have that feeling of like, I look good, I feel good, and I'm still being impactful, but just without the brick and mortar, that type of responsibility. And also, you know, when you don't have a lot of money and you can't figure out how to get a brick and mortar off the ground, creating a product. Uh, just a product by itself sounds a lot more cost efficient than opening up a hair salon. So 
So that's the route that I took. And I found a chemist that was up and coming in the Chicago area. I mean, I did get a lot of no's before partnering with this chemist, but you know, they were willing to help me and they worked with me. I started a website. I did, I did not have a business plan. I had a Excel checklist of things that I needed to do in order to start. And that was what I used to start my company. And it just took off from the day that we launched May 23rd with one product, one bottle of oil. Oh my gosh. Well, there's so many things before we go into that, that I want to just highlight. You know, I love the fact that you know, you're still working in nursing at this time. So mind you, like you going to this workshop, you thinking about maybe doing a salon, like you still have a full-time job. So I just want to call that out because you're dreaming. You still needed that income for you and your family and you couldn't just get up and leave and just start something. So I just have so much respect for you doing that. And also the fact that you were putting yourself in situations like going to this workshop, right? That one opportunity of you meeting that stylist who gave you that advice completely changed or maybe saved you a few years of pain to, you know, not doing that salon. So again, like a good reminder of put yourself out there, go up and speak to the teacher, whoever is doing the workshop with your questions, you being uncomfortable, which I, I know you do such a good job with. And then actually let's talk about how you funded it, right? You were still working, but you know, how much money were you putting in to get the website up and then like do that first purchase order? Because I'm sure it wasn't a big run that in that first um, order that you did. Yeah. So funny story. So I, I like to tell this joke because when I was younger, my mom, she would take us shopping like for school clothes and she would put things on layaway because mm -hmm. she couldn't afford to get all of our clothes to go to school. So she would just, you know, go to TJ Maxx and put it on layaway. So I say like when I started my company, I had this Excel checklist that had, okay, website design, let's say it was $500. Graphic design, let's say it was $200. So I had everything listed out with the cost that was associated with it. So I like to say that my business was also on railway <laughs> because I did not have like a lump sum to pay for everything all at once. So it was like every time that me and my husband, we got paid, which was every two weeks, and we would take money from our paychecks and pay down on whatever we needed to pay for that week, which let's say if, if it was the inventory, we would pay a down payment on that. And then we would make a negotiation with the manufacturer and say, okay, can we have payment terms and we'll pay you the remaining, you know, when it's ready to ship or whatever the terms were, but that will be according to our next paycheck. So we would kind of just work and operate from, you know, the times that we got paid all the way up until the day that it was time to launch. So mm -hmm. we started this process maybe a couple of months before. So we made sure that we had gathered all the necessary items that we needed to start for launch. And then once we launched, we had about 100 bottles worth of inventory, like give or take. I'm not sure the exact number, but it was around that number. And the day that we launched, so I thought that these bottles were going to last at least a few months because I'm yeah. like, okay, we, we got all our inventory. We've invested this money and we should be good. Like it's going to last us a couple of months. All of the bottles sold out the first day that oh we launched gosh. to the point where we were like, okay, now we're scratching our heads trying to figure out. How are we going to pay for more inventory? Because now we don't get paid and now we have to wait for the lead time to, you know, replenish the stock. So we had to just communicate with our customers. We're a small business. We just started. And if you communicate, most of the time your customers will understand. So we put on our website, we sent out an email. Our shipping lead time was like two weeks yeah. <laughs> because that allowed us to re-up some money to pay for the inventory to replenish to ship to us and then we can start fulfilling orders so we have very long shipping times mm -hmm. um in the very beginning and i know it was very frustrating for our customers but i'm so thankful for those customers because they worked with us and they're the reason why you know we're we're here today because if those customers you know fell off or didn't come back to purchase because we also had a great product so that's another yeah, thing. Sure. You have to have a great product because no matter how much marketing, no, ma no matter how much explaining you do, if your product sucks, they're not going to come back. But our customers believed in us. And that's why we always pour back into our community because we remember those beginning times of us struggling to get it off the ground and not being able to ship and those customers still standing by us. Oh my God. I have goosebumps just hearing that because 
with our business, we launched our second product and we were in a similar situation. I was like, let me just get a few hundred bottles. This this is going to last forever. We sold out in like two days. And, you know, the grace that the customers and the community have given us and hearing women like you truly from this podcast, just doing it for three years of the importance of like over communicating them, taking them on the journey. Like I'm just blown away and I get so emotional about just how our customers have really supported us during this tough time because behind the scenes of it, it must it might look cool that you sold out, but it's a shit show, right? I'm sure you were trying to figure out, all right, how do we get these orders? I'm sure you and your husband were filling everything from your house, right, at the time? Yeah, we were filling, like we had drums of, no, at that time we had gallons, like the, the pills. Oh, interesting. And we, <laughs> it was so crazy because I would take, I had this like spoon, and I was spooning, scoop up products and put it into the bottle. Obviously, we were sanitary. We had on gloves. It was yeah, clean. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we would just scoop up the product into the bottles. And I would just pass it off to my husband. He would, you know, bottle it up, cap it, put the label around it, and then box it up. So we, it was just me and him. And then my mom joined in. So we had like a three-man operation of us mixing the product, scooping it in the product um, jars, him wrapping it. And then my mom, she eventually started like packing and shipping. So we, we had a full fledged operation, but to go back to your point earlier about, um, the, the community will give you grace that goes back to that trust. Mm. So if I have that trust. If I didn't operate with integrity, no one would have gave me grace, but because of the community that I built, they trusted me. And that's why trust is super important when you're brand building. Mm. I, I love that. And, you know, clearly you were fostering this community before the launch, but do you think there's anything else that really helped you propel when it came to launch day and sell out even faster than you expected? Honestly, I think that it was the community that I built that really helped, you know, the launch date super successful because of course I had friends and family, um, people that knew me that purchased and bought um, but it was the anticipation that I built up from, you said this earlier, taking people on the journey with me. So everything that I did from the time that I was meeting with manufacturers, I would take pictures and show those pictures to my community. And I would also like show different product selections and allow my community to pick and say, hey, you guys, I'm at the manufacturer today which sample looks good to you? Or, you know, I would ask for their opinions and their thoughts. So it, it kind of felt like they were helping to build the brand with me. So when I was able to launch, they were excited because they felt like they were a part of the process. So I think it's extremely important to take people along the process with you because they feel more connected and engaged and they support in turn. I love that. No, that's a good reminder. And at what point did you decide to leave? Because you were still had your nursing job. So when were you like, all right, I got to quit and focus fully on my L? Yeah. So the day that I said I have to quit was the second day. Really? <laughs> quit that day. <laughs> But I knew, I knew in my spirit, I'm like, I yes. will not be able to continue working as a nurse because at that time, my career shifted from being labor and delivery to now I was a home health nurse. So this was me going into patients' homes and doing procedures and care on them. So that's really a lot more riskier um, because it's more hands-on and it's just you and the patient and there is no room for error. And so yeah. I knew how important my job was as a nurse. And I didn't want to continue to like sacrifice patient care because my focus, my brain was over here and I was seeing patients and that's not a job where your brain needs to be over here. So I had to realize that, you know, I'm not, something has to give at this point once I had started getting into it and really started to see the growth. But the day one, when we took off and we sold out, I told my husband, I'm like, I'm going to quit my job. And he's like, you're not going to quit your job. Really? Like you just started, like, let's, let's see how this goes. And he knew how hard I worked to become a nurse. So he was really like, you're not going to quit your job. And I said, oh, yes, I am. So <laughs> I went and I typed up my resignation letter and I dated my resignation letter for November. So this was like May when we started. I dated my resignation letter for November and I went back and I Gave it to my husband. I was like, see, I got my resignation letter. He's like, I know you're not about to turn that in. I'm like, no, 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 chill out. I dated it for November. See the dates here. I signed it. So when November comes, I'm going to turn in this resignation letter. And he was just like, you know, blowing me off. Not really. He's like, okay, whatever. If that's what you say. But I believe in writing the vision and making it plain. I believe that you have to see it. that Because that tells your brain that you have something to work towards. And you have to 
be able to manifest like what you want to become a reality. You have to pray on that. And so I looked at that resignation letter every single day. I hung it in my closet. And fortunately, I was able to leave my job in October and it was dated for November. So I was like one month shy of my goal, but I was still able to leave because I knew like at that point it was time for me to, I had to let something go because the company was just starting to really accelerate. So powerful. I did not know that story of you writing your resignation letter and putting the date. And I love, you know, whether you want to call it manifesting, putting your visions out there so you can truly feel it. So when did you create that resignation letter? Like in your journey, when was that? In May, like oh, in May, right yeah, when you launched, right when I launched. I see, got it. So, do you have any other examples? You know, whether it's in your life now or even in the early days, where you kind of put that vision out there for yourself. So maybe it was, you know, you launch your first product, but like the next phase of the company. Like, I would love to hear maybe stories around that because it really resonates with me. Yeah, literally, I can give you so many stories of things that I put out in the atmosphere and things that I have wrote down, whether it's a vision board or I wrote it in my journey that has happened. So I am a huge advocate of whatever you want, do a vision board, look at it every day, write it down, look at it every day and pray on that. And if it's according to God's will, it will manifest literally from being into Sally's that was on my vision board. I mean, I can go into so many things. Sally's was on my vision board. Target was on my vision board. The deal that we did with Berkshire Partners was on my vision board. The amount that we received from Berkshire Partners was on my vision board. Um, the acquisition with P&G was on my vision board before we even knew that we were going to go into a process. That's how powerful we like, and I can, I know we'll probably get to that, but before we went into process, I met the lead M&A guy at P&G in let's say April of it was spring I believe of 22 I want to say spring of 22 we were not yet into a process and I knew that once I met him I had not gone to tour PNG's facility nothing I went back home and I wrote in my journal that Maya will be acquired by PNG and then of course we met with several other people once we started the process but they were obviously were the ones that we partner with. So that's why I said I have so many different just divine alignments that I can tell you about that has came to life because I wrote it down. Literally the house that I live in, I wrote it down. I put a picture up like it's everything. <laughs> yes. Wait, I, I love this. People call it sometimes an action board instead of vision board, because it's like you want to take an action on it and for it to come to life. But literally I'm going to be doing this off the, once we're done with this podcast, I'm going to prioritize it. So walk me through it. So do you do this vision board? Like for example, once a year and every night you have a journal where you kind of walk through your wishes and goals or what does it look like for your life? Yeah. So the, so I used to do vision boards every year. Every year. Um, I kind of, I, I did one this year. Um, but I'm more so now I'm into like journaling and writing it down. Okay. So I don't have a specific time frame on how I journal. It mm -hmm. literally comes to me when it comes to me, when it hits me, I go sit in my closet and I write it down because I feel like that is when God speaks to me. Oh, I love that. So it's, it's no specific time frame. It may be morning. It may be night. It's literally when it comes to me. And I do want to like really emphasize like your vision board, action board, your journaling is not like a wish list. Like you really have to put the work behind it. You have to have the faith that it will happen, but you also have to work towards making it happen. Um, and so everything that I have also wrote down, I've also put the work behind it. So I didn't just write it down and say, oh, I wish that this will happen. Like, God, please make it happen. It's like, no, God, show me the steps. Lead me in the right direction. Give me the tools. Give me the resources that I need to make this happen because I trust that it, it will happen. But I know that I am partners with you. So you have to supply me with all the resources that I need to make it happen because clearly the vision came from you. Yeah, and right. I know that, you know, God is not going to leave me with just a vision hanging. It's not for me to figure out everything within the, the intricate details of the process. Mm -hmm. but it's for me to trust the process and to actually work the process. Because on the other side of the process is the promise, if that makes sense. No, I love that, Monique. And I love that you said it's not a wish list. And you feeling these like modes of inspiration and writing it down because it's, as you would say, from your perspective, it's like a gift from God. Sometimes we maybe don't take it so seriously because we're like, oh, we're so inspired about this. Like I actually got, for example, yesterday I felt 
abnormally inspired. I'm like the busiest I've ever been with this podcast, with the business. And I just felt like, man, I feel like there's something in me that's like ready to take it to the next step. That's not a normal thought because I'm already so busy, but you just saying like, it's a message. And I've been thinking about it today and I might not know what that means. So I love that you said you put it out there, whether it's your vision board or a journal. And it's like, whether you believe in God or a higher power, it's like, show me the steps. Like, obviously you put in the work there, but sometimes we can get so caught up in like, oh, I feel inspired to do this, but you know, I don't even know where to start. And that kind of will stop you from bringing it to life. I don't know if, I, if I'm saying that correctly, but I love that you keep it open and you're trusting, I guess, going back to trust that those steps can kind of come to you. But I would love to maybe hear your perspective because business, we do things every day that we don't know how to do, right? And somehow it always figures its way out. So if someone's listening, they're like, Monique, like I, f- I feel inspired to do this or that. How do you not get caught up in like those details, which can really push a lot of people to not take that step? I like to use like the elephant as an analogy. Like if you look at a big elephant, you're going to be intimidated because of how huge it is. Yeah. But if you look at like his hoof is it called a hoof on elf i don't know but if you look at the smaller part of an elephant it looks like it's more easier to tackle than looking at the huge elephant and trying to take on the elephant itself Mm -hmm. and that's like really how you have to like look at business like if you start thinking about everything that you need to do before you do it it's gonna overwhelm you and that's gonna lead to procrastination that's gonna stifle your creativity Versus like you taking that project or that thing and breaking it down into little small pieces and doing little small things that's going to eventually add up to the big things, the big elephant, if you just break it down and not focus on the bigness of it um, and just do what you can, you know, focus on like what you can do, control what you can. And those little bitty steps will equate to something big in the in the future. Um, And that's really what you have to constantly tell yourself and remind yourself, because I will guarantee you, if you start looking at the huge elephant, you're going to get scared, you're going to get intimidated, and you're not going to do it. Yeah, totally. And one thing you mentioned in another interview, you said, you know, I feel like the business really started scaling when you were able to get out of your own way. What is that? Can you kind of talk a little bit more about what that means? Yeah, so I'll give you an example. Um, So when we started Um, and mom and pop like beauty supply stores that were like neighborhoods, you know, stores, we were selling at a magnitude that they hadn't witnessed or seen before. So we were selling at Lux Beauty Supply, which was in, um, I want to say Maryland. And the owner, she called me to like, she would call and check in and just like tell me how the products were doing so well in her store. And then one day she said, hey, I want to connect you with this lady and she's like notorious for getting brands like you into like major retails. She's really good at what she does. I really want you to talk to her. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's great. Um, Yeah, I'll call her, give me her phone number. So she gave me her phone number. And, you know, I know that I was in my own way. I was in my own head because again, like growing up, how I grew up, survival mode, not really trusting a lot of people and hearing a lot of people blow smoke. I thought this lady was just blowing smoke and not really trusting that she was going to connect me with someone who can really get me into retail because that dream seemed so far-fetched when I first started. And so I never called the lady. The owner of the store called me back again to her normal check-in. And she's like, hey, did you call um, such and such? And I'm like, no, I didn't call her yet. And she's like, would you please call this lady? Like, I, I really think that she can help you. Still didn't call the lady. So, you know, a couple of weeks later passed and then my husband gets on the call with our normal check-in and then she talks about this lady again. And my husband's like, what's her name? Like, give me her phone number. I'll call her. And so I, once he called her and then, you know, he connected with her, she flew out to see us. So when she flew out to see us, I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is really for real. Like, she's really flying out to see us from, because it seemed like Baltimore, Maryland was so far away from Chicago. And I'm like, this lady is taking time out of her day to like fly with to Chicago to meet us. And then when she came to meet us and she started telling us her background, her track record, she looked at our sales, our website analytics. And she was like, I've never seen this before. She was like, you guys have to meet with, you know, I have to tell my retail um, partners about this, this brand. And, you know, I'm still like, okay, well, you can tell her about the brand. I, I didn't know what to expect. But once she was really able to make stuff happen, I knew that I could have prevented 
this opportunity because my own mental thinking and not allowing, you know, someone that was truly a blessing to my life. And that's why I always tell people like, it's okay to, you know, have discernment to be guarded to some extent, but to not be so guarded where you potentially miss out on people that can truly be a blessing to you because of your own mindset and limitations. So that situation really taught me to like get out of my own way, you know, try to learn to trust people until they give you a reason not to trust them. Um, but that's still a, a struggle for me today. So I, I'm i a work in progress, but that mm-hmm. was a huge learning lesson for me. No, incredible. And always appreciate like the self-reflection. I feel like the most successful people in business are the ones that are more self-aware and like every situation you're reflecting back on yourself and you're trying to be a better version. So I love that. That's even still something you're working through. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit because I know we're um, coming up on time, but you ended up killing it right in Sally beauty. Like they put you in all the stores you were doing well online. You guys were growing quite significantly month over month, but you mentioned that, you know, sometimes it might look all glamorous right on the outside, but you were actually surprisingly struggling behind the scenes. So maybe you can kind of talk about that moment because I feel like there could be a lot of learnings for people who are listening in today. Yeah. So the moment you're speaking of is in 2018, like our company experienced some financial struggles, you know, on the outside, the company was growing exceptionally well. Like, you know, we were disrupting the industry. We were killing it in Sally's, all of our retail partners, the brand was phenomenal. But because we really didn't have a grasp of having the right people that were on our team to correctly manage our books, we end up having the wrong people on our team that really didn't understand the industry and was misrecording a lot of things on our books. We were doing a lot of spending with retailers. Retailers can be very expensive, but the person that was recording our books was combining the what you call trade marketing spend, which is what you spend with retailers, plus our marketing spend. So because that was all combined, we were spending more than we thought we had because it should have been separated. And so we really wasn't um, aware that it had been combined. So we were overspending, which caused us to be in the hole like $2 million in 2018 because of that huge error. So that's why having the right people on your team is extremely important. And the financial structure of your business, that's the foundation. So if your finances are off, you don't have a business. And we had to learn that. And so a part of that learning curve was being able to ask questions and surround ourselves with mentors that allowed us to see that we had the wrong people on our team because you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know what to look for when you're hiring, you know, it's easy for people that seem like they have more experience to come in and kind of sell you a dream and they're not the right fit for the company. So it took for us to be around people that have been in our shoes before to help us realize and understand, you know, what was the proper and the right way to record trade marketing versus marketing? What should we look for and have an accountant? Should we have a CFO? And it really caused us to evaluate a lot of things and restructure our whole business. So we went through a whole restructuring process. And at that time, we connected with um, Richard Lou Dennis, who was a previous founder of Shea. He is the founder of Shea Moisture, previous CEO. He sold his company to Unilever. And because of that acquisition, it allowed him to create the New Voices Fund, which allows him to invest in other up and coming entrepreneurs. And I was one of the recipients of that fund when that happened. So that happened in 2020, where we closed on our first seed round investment with New Voices for a very, very small minority um, stake in the company. But that helped us over the hump. It helped us with reorganizing, you know, structuring our org structure. It helped us, you know, get out the hole. We became very profitable. We started to experience 4X growth. Now, granted, when we closed on that C round, two weeks later, COVID hit. So obviously that was also scary, but we had all of this money and it was like, okay, now how, how do we pivot? You know, and we pivot very quickly and we became extremely profitable um, during 2020. And that's allowed us to then speak to private equity firms And that's when we did our deal with Berkshire in 2021. We did our first Series A round. 
at that time. Got it. No, this is so helpful. So I'm curious because I have a question about the Berkshire deal that you did afterwards. But so you figured out you're in this, you know, financial mess despite all this growth. You're like, okay, it's time to restructure. Did you, how long did that restructuring take? Was it before um, you got your first check or was it in tandem with that? Um, so the restructuring happened before it was, it was kind of like in tandem with our new voices uh, deal, but we were already like in the process of restructuring before we partnered with them. So when we fit, did finally officially partner with new voices, it was kind of towards the end of our restructuring phase. Got it. Got it. And then, so, you know, you, you were doing so well, you guys were profitable. You're growing four times, like you're out of the mess. What was a motivation for you then to bring in private equity and align with like a Berkshire? Yeah, that's a great question because when you're in a mess, you learn a lot of lessons during that mess. And you remember a lot of key things that people say to you that are words of wisdom during that mess. And we had a CFO that came on to help us get out of that mess. Okay. And I remember when we were doing the restructuring and we were trying to get money, you know, for uh, extending our line of credit and the banks were giving us a very, very hard time. And he said that the best time to raise money is when you don't need money. Mm -hmm. And that always stuck with me because I knew how hard it was to raise money when we really needed it. So when I didn't need the money because the company was so profitable, I said, I'm going to take his advice, his nugget that he gave me. And I think that it's time to raise and go for another round because now that means we have leverage. And now that means we're able to dictate the terms and negotiate what we want on our behalf because we know that we have created something amazing and great. We know we have a lot of profitability, great EBITDA, all of those good things, great momentum. So now, because we know that people want to be a part of something so spectacular as such as what we've built, that gives us the leverage to say, this is what we want. This is the goal of what we want to aspire to do. How can you help us accelerate, grow our company to the levels and the capacity that we want to grow it? But we don't want to give you majority ownership. We still want to maintain and grow and be the captain of our ship. But we were able to do that because we had that type of leverage because of what that CFO told us when we were in the mess. Yes. No, that's good advice to raise money when you don't necessarily need it. And it looked like you also were trying to find a partner to kind of help you guys to get to that next next level. So it wasn't just money, right? It was connections, advisory, probably. It wasn't, it wasn't about the money at all because we didn't need the money. The company was very profitable. It was, how can we leverage your access? How can we leverage your resources, your expertise, your proven track record of taking companies from X to Y and Z we want to do that same thing. So how can you help us accomplish and really realize the full potential of our brand? That's what we needed partners for. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the way you guys did that. And you ended up, I guess it was on your vision board. So you get that money with Berkshire. You guys are in a different phase of your life. Was this when you started writing down like P&G potentially acquiring you guys? Or yeah, tell me more about the timeline and then when that actually, like how that actually came to life. Yeah, my goal, once we did the deal with Berkshire, I believe I had a three-year goal of, you know, being able to partner with the strategic, like a P&G. So my goal was three years. We ended up slashing that goal and we were able to partner 18 months later. Wow. Yeah. And was so, this your goal as well as a private equity you brought in? Or you always knew like at some point I'm ready to bring in that strategic partner? When we first met with the private equity firms, we always vocalized that was our ultimate goal. So th they knew going in that we would accomplish this goal together, right? And we all like ha had the same type of time timing in mind because we realistically, when you think about it, private equity comes on, you know, you guys got to like get to know each other. You know, there's a lot of structuring, um, bringing on personnel, people to like help grow and accelerate the company. Um, really forming like the infrastructure of the company. So that takes time. And so we had really like a three-year plan of like the timing that it would take to really help develop the company, get the infrastructure in order so we can have these conversations, you know, with strategic partners. But the company was getting a lot of requests and, you know, wanting to partner. And we decided collectively coming together, you know, after I think it was about a year of us being partners, 
that it was time to explore and have conversations with strategics just to kind of like see, you know, what the interest is to see if we would get the value that we wanted. Um, it was just like testing the water. So it was kind of like, just like, let's see what, what happens. And then once we were able to like, see that the waters were pretty blue and clear that we wanted to go forward with, you know, the next step and like really going into a process. So I wrote down my three-year goal of partnering with the strategic. I had wrote down the value that I wanted, everything I wrote it down. And um, we were pretty close to what I wrote down. And like I said, we did not go all the way three years. We did it in 18 months, which is a huge, huge success. Huge success. And when you wrote down that goal for yourself, like the valuation, you know, within three years in your journal, would you refer back to that? Was that on like your vision board that you would see every day or where did that live? Yeah. So I have this little, I have this journal in my closet. Like my closet is like my safe haven. It's like my space where like, I can just really like get all my thoughts out and really just pray and like meditate. Like that's that area. So I write things down and every now and then, let's say again, it just comes to me. It it can be two months later. It can be six months later. I'll go back and reread everything that I wrote down And, you know, I actually just did it last week and it was another situation that was going on. And I always run back and tell my husband, like, look, I wrote this down. And so he's always amazed and fascinated by it because he's like, wow, like you really did write that down. And like, like God gave you that answer. So like I said, there's no specific schedule. I just randomly, like when, when it hits me, I write stuff down. When it hits me, I'll go back and reread it. Sometimes before I like go to bed at night, as I think about like the things that I'm grateful for, I may open up my journal um, as a way of like just showing gratitude because I'll go back and look at all the things that I wrote down and, you know, I'll look at it and look at what I've accomplished and just really just bask in that gratitude of like how grateful I am you know, for all the things that I've accomplished that I wrote down. I love I love that gratitude piece because I feel like in whatever stage you are in business, and I'm sure you can talk more about this than me since I'm still only two and a half years in my journey, like there's so many challenges that if you don't stop and reflect and sit in that gratitude, it just could feel very tough. And then you forget why you're doing what you're doing. Like there's no normal person that starts a business because it's tough, like it's difficult. So it's that mindset, which I feel like you've really mastered that makes it fulfilling for you, that that reminds you of why you're doing what you're doing. So I love that, you know, it's even a good reminder for me. I have a gratitude journal at night, but like to really reflect on it versus just writing, I think is important. Oh yeah. So it's so important. And and so, it's so important for your mental health and well-being. So I always just tell people like if you feel anxious, if you feel like any feelings that you're going through, just please like write it down. Get it out of your head. Um, however you're feeling. And, you know, I always tell people like, pray on it and you will feel so much better once it's out versus like keeping it in. I love that. I'm going to do that for sure. And, you know, I guess my last question, you did this, you know, your vision came to life. You sold the business in 18 months, which is incredible. Like, what did that feeling feel for you? We've had a lot of women, for example, on the podcast who have sold their business and they weirdly, you know, they're so happy about it and they feel gratitude, but they felt like their baby was kind of gone. And some of them actually went through depression, you know, afterwards. Um, But how did your life change when that moment came? Because it's something that, you know, I'm sure you've been thinking about for years and years. So that's a big, big moment. Yeah, it's a huge moment. But I would say, like, honestly, nothing has really changed. Like, I have more access, which is, you know, why you do things like that. You know, you have, um, and it's it's not about the money for me, because, Clearly, like when I did the Berkshire deal, I could have went off in the sunset and and not look back. But what I do is so purposeful. And my husband and I, we are still leading the company. I'm on board still. Like I didn't step down as CEO. My husband didn't step down as CEO. And that is by choice. We Mm -hmm. chose to still continue to lead the vision for the company. We chose to still continue pushing the vision forward. And I don't feel like, you know, I've given my baby to someone to let them babysit and, and raise my child. Like, I don't feel that way because one of the things that we were very adamant of negotiating with PNG when we did this deal was that nothing should change. We will still stay on board. We are still going to continue to push this company forward. The DNA of the brand, the heart and soul of the brand, we cannot sacrifice that. You guys can't come in and change anything because that is who we are as a brand. If you want to you know, acquire Mayo, Mayo has to remain and stay the same. And 
we were able to do that because that's what we negotiated and they've been great partners. They have, you know, stayed true to their word. They are a great company and it has been very great to be partners with them. And I don't feel depressed at all. I actually feel like I have the help that I wanted and I need it. And I really feel like they are here to help me really take this company globally and to be a global household beauty brand, not just focus on hair care, but how do we focus on overall beauty and being a destination brand for women when they think about all things beauty related. And that is the goal of what I wanted to accomplish and achieve. So I feel more than anything that they have come on board to like help, help me and help alleviate a lot of the things that we were struggling with. It's like, and we tell our staff this all the time, like help is here. And now we can really realize our two true dreams. And, you know, for, for me, it's been great. So I think it's been a great partnership. I love it. Well, the fact that you and your husband are still actively involved and you negotiated that, that nothing will change and it's just more of the support and the right partner. So that is incredible. And like how cool to feel like you have that support. Um, obviously all founders do, but to really have that you know, strategic partner with you um, to kind of help guide you. But Monique, this is amazing. I could have talked to you for many, many hours, but so inspired by you. Can't wait to see what you guys are going to do next. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.